RadioInfluence.com. The challenger. Here we go. This is the MMA report with Jason Floyd on Radio Influence. What is up? It is time for another edition of the MMA Report Podcast. It's the interview edition of the show, and I have got a four-pack of fighter interviews here on this episode, as you're going to hear from a man that's going to be making his bare-knuckle debut coming up here on Saturday in Denver. Chris Camozzi, the former UFC fighter, as he is making his bare-knuckle debut against Bubba McDaniel. I spoke to Chris about this matchup, and uh, the big takeaway for me from this conversation is how he's betting on himself. You find out exactly why he's betting on himself. We'll come up here very shortly. Then you're going to hear from a fighter that is scheduled to be a part of the Shamrock FC car comp here on November the 5th. Josh Augustine, as uh, he's gone through, uh, as we were doing the interview, it's he doesn't quite have an opponent. His initial opponent pulled out of the matchup, but of course Shamrock is working on getting him a new opponent, but had a great conversation with him, talking about what has been happening with him and the fact of 155 being his new home. Also, you're going to hear from a fighter who she is going to be making her professional debut on Friday night on UFC Fight Pass at LFA 144, Shea Bauer. She was 7-1. and one. As an amateur going making her pro debut in her hometown on Friday night there a part of UFC Fight Pass. So you get to uh, learn about who Shea Bowers is. And then the final interview is going to be with a guy who's going making his it sounds like going making his pro debut here in the very near future. Laz Maldonado had a chance to get to know Laz competing there at 559 Fights. Recently just signed on with a management company. So you hear all those conversations come up here on this edition of the MMA Report Podcast. Of course, great way to show your support for podcast rating and review. Truly uh, you know, helps me out a ton. If you could do that, would really appreciate that. And uh, be sure to be checking out all the content I'm putting out over on the YouTube channel. You know, I did have someone on Twitter reach out to me asking that if I would put more of the podcast on YouTube. So, uh, going to be doing that. Give a, you know, as I always say, man, wherever you want to listen to this show, watch this show. I'm glad to put that show wherever you want to take it in. So I do appreciate you taking time out of your day. Of course, uh, it is Monday, October the 10th, trying to get back to a, a normal podcast schedule. You know, typically what I do like to try to do is get these shows out on Sundays, uh, Sunday being the interview edition of the show. And on Wednesday, myself and Daniel Calvon, where, you know, we kind of look at everything that's going on in the world of MMA, you know, recaps, previews, you know, talking about some news, agree, disagree, those type of things. So trying to get back to a normal schedule, myself and Daniel will have an episode coming up on Wednesday and uh, on Wednesday's so going to tell you about a special offer that NordVPN has for the MMA Report podcast listeners. So appreciate NordVPN jumping on the MMA Report podcast. Of course, we all know we need that VPN. I mean, literally, as I'm doing my show, I'm I'm into that NordVPN right now. As I always have that VPN on here, uh, here in the office, or if I'm at my home office, or I'm working on the road. So uh, always got to have that VPN. So we'll tell you about the special offer that NordVPN has for you on Wednesday's edition of the podcast. But uh, let's get right into the 
interviews. As you're going to hear, it's going to you're going to hear these back to back to back to back. First conversation here is the one that I had with Chris Camozzi. Then the second one will be with Josh Augustine. The third will be with Shea Bowers. And then finally, you'll hear my conversation with Laz Maldonado. Joining me now here on the MMA Report, it's a man that's going to make his bare-knuckle debut here in Denver on October the 15th. Chris, uh, appreciate the time. Uh, you know, I was, I was watching some other interviews you'd done, and kind of the biggest takeaway I took away is betting on yourself. You were offered a multi-fight deal, but you say, you know what, nah, man, let me do a one-fight deal so I put myself in, in a good scenario. I mean, and obviously it's been some time. I mean, was that... Even before this bare knuckle opportunity came about, was that kind of the mindset of you of like, okay, if someone comes with a multi fight offer, whether it's MMA, bare knuckle, boxing, whatever it may be, that your mindset was, no, I want to do a one fight deal so I can ultimately maximize on my worth? Um, a little bit, yeah. I mean, it just depended on the deal. I was kind of playing the field. Um, we had some offers, like MMA offers. Um, we were looking at regular boxing, bare knuckle. Um, Bare Knuckle came at me with a good opportunity, plus they're coming to my backyard. So it all seemed to make sense. But yeah, at the end of the day, these last couple of years, I got to make as much money as I can and make it worth it. So for me, I was like, let's do the one fight deal. Um, and I think I think that we can renegotiate as opposed to the three fight deal. If I would have came to you after your win against Corey Hendricks in PFL and said your next fight will be Bare Knuckle, would you believe me? Uh, possibly, you know, um, there was a chance that I was still going to stay with PFL. Um, and then, yeah, things change and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I mean, I had a great performance in PFL, so I, I knew that some kind of offers would come through that were good. Um, all of my wins in PFL, you know, I racked up a few in a row and I feel like they were great performances. I kind of feel like I'm hitting the, uh, stride of my career right now, you know, looking back, um, I think that I'm performing better, I'm, I'm striking better, I'm doing all these things better than I was even in the UFC. So it's a good time for me. Anything you can point towards of why you feel that way? Uh, definitely. I mean, I switched, during COVID, I switched training camps. So I'm at Genesis Training Academy now. And it's a very almost boxing-specific gym. So it kind of works out that I'm, I'm going to bare knuckle. Um, you know, there's little things that my coach, Jake Ramos, tightened up on me. Um, we've got more power in my hands now and faster. Um, just a few little things that I was kind of doing wrong most of my career that he was able to fix. And uh, I'm loving it. I feel like I can really see the improvements. Prior to going over to Genesis, what, did you kind of have that mindset of, of you felt like some type of change needed to be made? Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't think that I was performing to the best of my ability. And, you know, part of that's on me, too. But um there was just some little things that I kind of got away with my whole career that weren't technically the best um, as far as technique goes. So I've been learning a ton these last couple of years at Genesis and uh, I'm excited to show just hands now because like I said, my, my coach's background is mostly boxing and then he got into MMA. Um, so he's loving it too because boxers is what he's trained. He's trained world champions and um, now he's got a group of us. I got two other teammates that are on this card too. You know, one of the things, uh, and I've been to a bare knuckle event, and it was one of those things of I kind of went into it of going, okay, I'm gonna, I'm going to the open eyes. I remember uh, Sean Wheelock, who, who does their announcing, he had told me he's like, Jay, you just got to go, you got to go. And the one thing that really stuck out to me is, uh, you know, you're toe to toe right with your guy right from the start. Like, have you kind of simulated that in the training room at all? Yeah, so we start sparring rounds like that. I think I, I actually prefer it. Um, there's a lot more, 
I think that there's a lot more to focus on and worry about when you start, you know, across the ring and cage because everybody moves different, you know, and, and not everybody just comes straight in, you know, like it's kind of hard to explain, but there there's less footwork, I would say, in bare knuckle. And to be honest, I've never been like the quickest fighter, the, the fastest or anything like that. So I think it actually plays to my advantage because they have to start right in front of me as opposed to me trying to hunt them down across the cage and the ring and, and make sure that I'm set up, but also cutting them off. Yeah. I remember years ago, Mike Christman, who's, who's headlined this card because he had fought in the bare knuckle over in England. And he said the difference between bare knuckle in England and the bare knuckle in the in the United States is uh, in the United States, you don't see a ton of going to the body. Um, it, it's more about going up top. I mean, is, is that one of those things of, because he, he talked about there's a danger in bare knuckle of going to the body because then you leave yourself exposed up top. Like how have you kind of thought about that of, you know, when you might attack the body in this matchup? Uh, I mean, for me, if you look back at my fights in glory, um, glory kickboxing, the UFC, PFL, all of those, I, I'm a person that attacks the body. I don't think that there's as much of a danger as long as you do it correctly. Um, and that involves, you know, keeping my head in. We see a lot of guys in MMA that have their head way back and they throw the body, they reach for it. So there's, there's some technical things. Um, but I mean, you know, how I can't discount what Mike Richmond says, you know, he's fought in BKFC. I haven't, but just outside looking in, I think a lot of it is just forward pressure. You got to make sure you're leaning into your punches. I don't have to worry about getting my legs kicked. I don't have to worry about getting taken down so I can change my stance a little bit um, and just focus on the top path. But I've always loved attacking the body because that's like my ideal way to win actually is a body shot because body shots make people shut down. Um, yeah. Anybody can get knocked out in this sport. You know, it can be a lucky punch and I don't, I don't even like calling it a lucky punch, but you know, everybody can get knocked out. But if I, if I put you down with a body shot, you know, it's, it's kind of you choosing to, quit or you're unable to continue, but you're still uh, conscious. So I think it's more uh, demoralizing to lose that way. I think for some of the more OG MMA fans, they'll recognize your opponent's name, Bob McDaniel. You know, he's gone through some turmoil over the past couple of years, but I think a lot of people obviously remember him from the ultimate fighter. I know uh, some of your teammates have, have a history with him uh, in terms of competing with him in a stand-up matchup. What do you expect to see out of him? I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting because um, he's been out a couple of years, right? So I'm sure he hasn't just been sitting around. He's been training. Um, that's why I don't watch a ton of tape because it's hard to rely on his fights from like five years ago. You know, he could come in a completely different person. So I try not to um, pigeonhole myself by being like, oh, I know he's going to do this. He could be a completely different fighter. But his past, he was more grappling base. Um, I know that he, he doesn't look like he's scared to be in the pocket. Um, and throw, which is good. But I think that when it comes to getting hit, he's a little bit easier to shut down. So I think once I start putting my hands on him that um, I can break him. You mentioned about, you know, obviously the, the tape out there so long ago, it kind of made me think about like, as you think about your fight mentality, how much of it is game plan versus read and reacting? Mine is almost all read and react. I don't come in with a, a big game plan because Game plans are great in an ideal situation, but, you know, fighting is chaos. So there's never <laughs> an ideal situation. I mean, I've had fights go almost perfect, but nothing is ever right to the game plan. So for me, it's always training reaction speeds, um, making the right decisions quickly. And that just comes with like time in the gym over and over and over and being put in those positions. 
What would you say your most memorable fight is to this point? My most memorable one was probably uh, when I fought Joe Riggs in the UFC. I would say that one or uh, Cesar Ferreira in PFL, which was just a couple fights ago. That was where I felt a big change in like my striking and, and just being on point. Going back and looking at some of those like slips and rolls I hit. Him, I attacked the body. That's what set up the knockdown was that I, I threw a hook to the body under his hook. And that hurt him and then went up top to the chin. So I like that one a lot because it showed the improvements that I've made. But the Joe Riggs one was hard to beat because I got the bonus that night from the UFC. I didn't get hit. It was 26 seconds. It was, I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. You know, I walked out completely unscathed. I don't think I got hit one time. And it was the most money I ever made in 26 seconds. Yeah, that, that's that's a good night at the office. <laughs> that's a good yeah. night at the office. You, you go straight to the after party and people ain't going to know you've been in a fight. <laughs> I know. You make six figures in 26 seconds. That's hard to beat. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned about one fight deal here. You'll see what happens is like, is the mindset of like, okay, I'm just going to see how this goes. And then maybe it's bare knuckle. Maybe it's MMA. Maybe it's traditional boxing. I mean, is that kind of where your mindset is? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to leave it open. Like I said, I want to make as much money as I can. Um, I love fighting. That's why I'm doing this. You know, I was, I was itching to fight again and I don't need to fight. I just really love it. It's, it's still my favorite thing to do. Um, So for me, yeah, I'm going to, I would like to stay with Bare Knuckle. You know, I told him, I was like, man, I'd be happy to finish out my career with you guys. Um, it's just going to make sense and I'm going to negotiate hard. If there's anything I've learned in business, you know, because I have a full-time job in, in a business is ask for a raise every chance you get. My boss is big on that. So, I mean, I'll ask him every day. Like, <laughs> hey, I think I should make more money. So I'm going to transition that over to the fight world too. I'm going to ask for a raise every chance I get. Who doesn't want to make more money? Everybody wants to make more money, but most people aren't willing to ask for it. Yeah, I don't care if you got a billion in the bank. You want more money. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's addicting. It's a game. Yes, yes, it's it's an addiction, no question about it. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, you mentioned about your love for this game. And, you know, we all know is the, the athletic journey will come to an end at some point. Do you think that's going to be a tough one for you to, to walk away from? Or do you think like at that point you'll be like, you know what, it's time, it's, it's time for me to move on to whatever that may be. I hope it's not tough. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sure it will be, you know, this has been such a big part of my life. Um, like I said, I, I love fighting. Um, you know, if I, if I never ended up going down to Maine and getting paid for it, I might've been fighting people in alleys or parking lots. I don't know. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of how my MMA journey started. So, uh, I do love it, but yeah, I mean, when I'm said and done and I walk away, um, I feel like I've had a great career, um, a lot of memories. I've gotten to travel the world and I could look back on it and be proud of it. So there is, you know, I would love to add a, a world championship to my career before calling it. So like I said, BKFC, as long as we keep going, man, I'm, I'm going to try to get that title shot as fast as possible. You mentioned about you've had a chance to fight all across the world. You know, you, you mentioned about you're on this BKFC journey. I mean, like, if you can go to David Feldman and say, hey, man, this is like my bucket list location to fight in before I'm done, where would that be? Man, bucket list location to fight. You know, I'd love to fight in England. I saw they went to London, um, Ireland. Um, I like just traveling and fighting anywhere. So traveling is my second favorite thing to do. That's why with the UFC, I always ask to be on the international cards. Um because that's how I got to see the world. You know, I'd extend my trip afterwards, call it a vacation after. It was like a paid vacation. So um, I'd go out and fight and then enjoy wherever I went. 
And, of course, we look forward to seeing this fight here. BKFC, of course, you can watch it there on the BKFC app. Chris, as always, appreciate your time. Of course, uh, let me know that you follow on social media and, of course, those sponsors that are helping out for this one. Yeah, definitely. So you can follow me on um, Instagram. It's at Chris Camozzi MMA. I believe TikTok is the same. I just started doing the TikTok thing. I don't really get it. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, shout out to my sponsor. So Fit Soda, that's whose shirt I'm wearing. That's the company I actually work for. Um, and then I got Half Face Blades. If you haven't seen their knives, man, it's a, he's a military vet who makes custom knives. They're amazing. Um, the Shootist here in Denver. And I believe that is it right now. We're still adding some more. Awesome. Yeah, that TikTok. It, I get addicted just scrolling through videos. Before I realize it's been 30 minutes, I'm like, okay, I got to put this phone down. I know. See, to, this morning at the Shootist, I was saying one of my sponsors, we went down and uh, they have a gun range and gun store and everything, and they were letting us shoot the fully automatic gun. So I was like, maybe that's my next TikTok video. I don't know. People <laughs> like to see stuff get just shredded up. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man that's going to be a part of Shamrock FC 341. And, well, as we do this show, we don't know who he might be fighting at Shamrock FC 341 as his poet just uh, pulled out of the matchup. Josh, man, uh, appreciate the time. Obviously, that's kind of – is it – is it one of those things of like, it's like, uh, is that like an antsy type situation of like, man, I just want to know who's going to be standing across the case for me in November. Yeah, for sure. Especially at this point in my career. Um, and I like to do homework. I like to study my guys. Um, and the fact that I'm starting to work up into the upper, I feel like I'm going to start working up into the upper echelon of the sport. Um, but, um, at one fifty five. Against a, you know, against a veteran, if you will, a, you know, a guy like a 500 type guy, I'm not really going to be too worried about that matchup there. I think my skills will just show themselves. You mentioned about 155. That is your new home here. You know that on Instagram. You started your, your pro run at Featherweight. You've had a couple of catchweight matchups uh, in your last two matchups. Was uh, was there Did there become a point of your career where you just kind of had that, I think 55 is truly where I need to be? Yeah. Uh, after my loss on Titan, uh, my last fight uh, at 45, uh, it was actually a catchweight at 50, sorry, but it would have been at 45 if it wasn't on three days' notice. Um, it was, uh, I started to gain a lot of muscle during my rehab. Um, I broke my leg in that fight shortly after. Um, I ended up hurting my hip, uh, torn torn hip labrum, had to have surgery on that. And uh, after that, in my rehab, I was rehabbing my hip. And on the other flip side of that, I was also doing a two-a-day. I was uh, lifting weights. Um, every single day, six days a week for like three months right after surgery. So I packed on quite a bit of size um, and it changed my entire physique. Um, I changed my diet completely at that time. I changed really my entire lifestyle um, and focused everything in on being uh, like a true professional athlete at that time and uh, turned my body to a machine essentially. And um, I, I couldn't make the weight anymore. I had basically created a new a new character, if you will. So 155 was going to be my home. Um, and then in my first fight back, uh, my opponent had uh, asked to do 165 because he had caught COVID a couple weeks before and had trouble with the weight cut. And then um, Bellator was supposed to come shortly after. And we were having trouble. We had, uh, I think, three opponents fall out. Uh, 
155 and I was struggling to find opponents and we had somebody at 170. So that's whenever I made the jump to Walter Waite, uh, just because it was supposed to be my, uh, you know, Bellator debut mm -hmm. and the opponent matchup was great. Obviously I fought him just a couple weeks ago and I, I knew my skills would shine. So, um, that was why I took that fight originally. Um, and that's, that's kind of how all the different catch weights above that weight all began. I mean, you mentioned about how your body did go through a change, but like, as you think about like, you know, when you're at 45 and now at 55, is it part of you wishes that maybe you would have made this, this move sooner than you did? Yeah. Yeah. A part of me does. Um, I thought that having that height advantage was going to be so huge for me. So I really depleted myself for a really long time. I mean, I used to fight 125, 135 whenever I was back in high school. Um, so I was just always exhausting myself. And I think if I would have focused on the strength and conditioning and just being the biggest, best athlete that I possibly could have, um, things would be differently, but I don't, I don't regret anything on my journey. Everything has worked perfectly. I was sort of waiting to find out who your new opponent's going to be, but when this fight car was announced, the, the line that was thrown in the press release was title implications are on the line here. Um, so has Shamrock kind of given that indication of a, a victory here leads to a, a lightweight title fight for yourself? Yeah, 100%. Um, I think that I was going to be fighting Ty Clark if he would have been available. Um, I lost to him on LFA for those, uh, those of you who don't know, I, I fought him on LFA whenever I was three and oh, and he was seven and oh, coming off the ultimate fighter. And, uh, he got the best of me that night. He won a pretty boring decision. Um, but he missed weight by five pounds and he was coming down from 155 and he was yet to have made Walter weight or I'm sorry, featherweight. And at the time I was probably walking at, uh, 160 to 165 pounds i mean now i'm i'm pretty big i'm pretty stacked up and you know i think that he's accepted that he's no longer a featherweight or he never was and uh, this fight at lightweight would not only be a fair competition but he's not only you know it, it's given me time to have a lot of evolution in my game i've i've completely changed my wrestling and i think that 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 matchup will not only show how much that I've grown and how good that I truly am, but it'll show the level that I'm at and it'll show, you know, that this regional scene, um, has capped itself out. It'll sh really show that I'm ready to run with the big dogs, uh, at the next level, not just, not just make an appearance. You mentioned about evolution of a fighter, and that's a term that we hear fighters talk about. And, you know, you, you'll hear the, you know, hey, how you evolve from fight camp to fight camp. But, like, you mentioned about wrestling, where you, you really see the strides that you're making in that. Is, is that the biggest thing that sticks out to you about how much of a, of a of an evolved fighter you are in comparison to your last fight? Yeah, I mean, this is a really quick turnaround. Um, so this is just really about sustaining my shape and, and kind of jumping back into the next one. But as far as like evolution uh, throughout my journey, I mean, when I first started, I was mainly just a striker who had a lot of jiu-jitsu experience. Um, and I was, I had some dangerous striking techniques and, uh, you know, over the past couple of years of being pro and the trials and tribulations, if you will, um, and the ups and downs, I've, uh, I've really grown my game a lot and, and, you know, coming across different people. Um, I ended up 
training with Sammy Henson the past couple of years, uh, and his son's world champion wrestler. He was a, um, Olympic silver medalist and they completely changed my game. Um, as far as wrestling and MMA, um, it's opened my entire game up and obviously adding size. Like, like I said, it's almost like a whole new character. I feel like I've had a restart to my professional career, um, jumping up since my featherweight days. So anytime I'm doing an interview with a, a fighter who wears glasses, just like myself, it leads to that question of what are we doing on fight night? Are we wearing contacts or is it just like, no, nah, I mean, I can see the stuff coming in front of me, so I don't need, I'm good. No, I can always see. Um, I did. I usually don't wear anything. I did wear contacts in my last fight though. Uh, and it got, one of the contacts got knocked out of my eye. So if you go back and watch, in this in between rounds i pull the one out so that way i can see the same because i usually i'm usually i practice usually with no contacts it's you know it's no worries i can see everything it's just a little blurry it's not you know the perception's all fine yeah i've heard stories of that of where you know guys say you know what one got knocked out and i said screw it i'm not gonna you know like one guy married told me he's like we're literally trying to find the contact on the mat we knew it's in the corner somewhere and it just got to the point of like screw it it's just not it's not gonna be there yeah, just take the other one out. Can't put it back in. Yeah, that's always like I remember. This is man, years ago. I remember uh, a fighter. I want to say it was in Ohio. He usually wore contacts, and they're like, "You can't wear contacts." And he and then he had like that thought process of like, "Crap, do I pull out the fight? Do I stay in the fight? Because if I pull out of the fight, I don't get a payday." I mean, that that's right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it would all depend on your eyes and how like how bad they are. Really, mine mine really aren't that bad. Like I, you know, I I need them to watch TV and like mm -hmm. you know, do whatever around the house. Drive up to the gym. I'm not gonna drive blind, but uh, whenever I'm training, I see everything just fine. So, who's that guy in the gym that just knows how to push your right buttons? Um, I mean, right now. Me and Lucas Clay have some pretty dynamic goes. You know who Lucas Clay is? No, I don't. Uh, he he fought for the LFA title not too long ago. Uh, I know he's in talks with some major promotions, and he's coming off of a big, spectacular knockout win. And me and him, I feel like um, with him going the LFA route and me going the Shamrock to Bellator route, I think that you could see him making a run at the UFC title and me making a run at the Bellator title right at the same time. And hopefully we can uh, both simultaneously hold that and continue to push each other like we do now. Is that the mindset of, of you see this as Shamrock is a stepping stone to getting you a Bellator deal? I mean, they've told me that's that they have. Um, you know, when you get the Shamrock title, that yeah. you get you get a Bellator contract. And I'm not looking at Shamrock as a stepping stone. This has been a great experience for me to, you, you know, go out and. Um, gain experience, um, grow my, my fan base, grow my brand, um, and become just a better wholesome fighter man and learn how to do this thing. Like a real true professional shamrock runs a hell of a show. Jesse and Rob, uh, they do, they do a great job and I'm, I'm grateful for my experience and, that I'm continuing to have with them and how well that they've treated me and how accommodating that they've been. So, um, I don't want to say it's a stepping stone, but as far as my journey in, in total, I do see myself at the top of the sport, though. I do see myself, you know, fighting big-name fights in the next year, two years. 
you know, obviously everyone knows about Jesse Finney and, and Jesse's, you know, time now as a promoter, but he was a fighter. Do you ever try to pick Jesse's brain and say, hey, man, just I just want to pick your brain on kind of how you did things as a fighter and, and maybe just try to get some advice uh, of an OG of the sport? Uh, I would love to, honestly, but I just we haven't had the chance to do that. Every conversation we've had has just been super business oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, he he's he's a machine. I stopped by their gym uh, to do an interview with them, and uh, I had to pick up some money and some tickets for this fight. And Jesse was there, and he just basically walked me around their gym, and they have a badass facility. Um, and you know, he he just kind of walked me through, talked to me a little bit, and. That was the most I think we had really gotten a chance to just chop it up, just kind of man-to-man. And that was my first time I've ever been to their gym as well. Um, and it just kind of showed me how busy they are and how much that they have on their plate. And, you know, really, really, you know, made me gain even more respect for them. But, yeah, I would love to chop it up with them fight-wise too. Of course, uh, if there's people watching this, listening to this that are in the area and uh, they want to get tickets from you, what, what do they need to do, man? Yes, just hit me up at my Instagram at Augie MMA. Um, I got all the tickets you need. I got sixty-five dollars seats, sixty dollars seats. Um, we got some VIP tickets that are all inclusive. Um, it's going to be at Ameristar Casino, November fifth. It's going to be another dominant performance for me. I'm looking to solidify my my title shot and uh, get my rematch. I, I want to get that loss back, and I would I need to get my Bellator contract. So that will happen. I would love for that to happen uh, right in my backyard. And to get that loss back and get that contract in the same night would be very, very special. That's awesome, Josh, man. I appreciate time. Look forward to seeing the matchup. And, of course, is there anything else you want to mention? Sponsors that help you out, things along those lines? The floor is yours, man. That would be awesome. Yeah, I got to thank all my sponsors, uh, all my guys uh, over at Total Roofing, Sports Analytics, Two Car Guys, Fabulous D and B's and uh, all my guys over at reset vintage. Got to thank all you guys for keeping me alive, keep supporting me and uh, pushing me along this journey. I couldn't do this without you guys. Go make sure you check out all of those, all those people. If you need a roof, if you need a car, if you want to go play slots or if you want to get your vintage apparel, Jordan, Supreme, Bape, any of that stuff, those are your people in St. Louis right there. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a fighter who's going to make her professional debut here, LFA 144, coming up on October the 14th. Shay, appreciate the time. Pro debut coming up. Uh, you know, when you hear that, like, is it is are you are you at that point of camp as we're a week out saying, guys, won't fight night to get here? Yeah, for sure. No, the past few days I've I've been itching and eager to get in there. It's it's kind of surreal to make my pro debut in my hometown, in front of my hometown crowd. Um, we've sold a ton of tickets. It's going to be a packed house. It's going to be amazing walking out to the Sioux Falls community. See, when you say sold a ton of tickets, my first thought is, oh, we got, we got, we got a good payday coming. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. That, that's also a nice little, nice, nice little piece to it as well. One of the things that, that did stick out to me was you kind of got a later start in, in terms of your amateur start in this sport. So what, was it something where you were in the gym and then one day you decided that, you know what, I want to start taking some fights? Um, yes and no. Um, I definitely started training with the idea of being competitive right away. I wasn't sure if that was going to be MMA or 
jujitsu, Muay Thai, what it was going to be. I was actually a D1 cross country runner for South Dakota State. Um, graduated there and then decided to go to grad school, do all the things and kind of realized that a nine to five job was not for me <laughs> and wanted to go back to competitive sports. And I happened to find martial arts and just fell in love and became obsessed. And um, when Coach Bruce asked me if I had any um, intention of fighting, I was like, you know, I have no idea if I'll be good, but let's let's give it a crack. And after the first one, I was hooked. What do you remember about that first fight? Not a whole lot, to be honest. <laughs> um, I remember Claire, she was super nice to me. She took a took the fight on like three or four day notice because I had like six people back out um, mm -hmm. for my, my de debut as an Ami. Um, she stepped up and yeah, I don't remember much of the actual fight, but I know I was super grateful to have her finally take the fight. The one thing that does stick out about that amateur run is a finisher. Six of your seven wins come via finish. Uh, the last four come by submission. So are, are you at all hunting for the knockout in this one? Yeah, no, my uh, my second fight, I got a knockout in the first round, and that was definitely a high for sure. Um, we've been working my striking a ton. I debated doing a couple Muay Thai fights. Uh, wanted to do TBAs this year in Iowa, but we actually hosted a boxing event um, here in Sioux Falls. So that kind of uh, messed with the schedule of things. But working a lot of the striking, I just, I'm a grappler. I'm a wrestler. I love um, getting on top of somebody, ground and pound. Um, but hopefully I'll be able to showcase my new skills coming up. You know, I was looking at your Instagram and you had a Father's Day post about your father and, and your parents and, and their support. So it makes me kind of think. What was the family on board for you being a mixed martial artist? <laughs> um, for sure. My, uh, my boyfriend actually is kind of the one that introduced me to martial arts. And he asked one time when we were visiting families, like, did you ever think this would be the route that she would go? And my dad is like, no, but I'm, I'm honestly not surprised. She's always had that fighting spirit. Um, and she's always been a competitive athlete. So it just kind of went hand in hand with my personality. Um, overall, they're all pretty supportive. They're all going to be there on Friday night. Um, I think I have like 10 or 12 of my like 15 nieces and nephews coming as well. So it'll be a good group of, of, of people there. Now is your family, the vocal family when you're fighting or are they more the quiet family? Oh, they're very vocal. You will, you will definitely hear them in most of my fights. Like if you watch them on YouTube, you can hear distinctly one of my sisters screaming my name. Um, it's, it's fun to look back and, and watch that and hear that, um, knowing that they're there, even though I can't hear them during the fight, obviously. Um, it's just nice to know that they're in the crowd watching. What, what's the mindset heading into the pro debut? I'm just looking to have fun. I've worked so, so hard and I've put so much time into this. Um, this camp specifically, we, uh, had some trouble finding an opponent and then, um, when we found a couple, they backed out. Um, so our game plan has switched a lot. Um, so I finally just kind of went with like, you know what? I'm at the point. I'm well-rounded. I don't care who's standing across from me. I'm just going to go in there, showcase myself in the best way I can, and and hopefully I get the result I want. My, when we talk about mindset, game plan versus reading and reacting, is, is it kind of like a 50-50 type situation? Of, I mean, obviously you, you and your coaches are going to look at your opponent and, and you're going to say, okay, she does this well, she does that well. We think we may exploit this area, that area. But there's also like she could come out and just show you something you've never seen on <laughs> film before. So like how do you balance that? Um, I kind of leave game planning up to my coaches. 
I'll watch a little bit of film with them. Um, but I try to focus on what I can control, which is my training, um, my fitness, my conditioning, all that type of stuff. And then whatever they see, I'll, I'll make sure I fine tune those details. So we have that game plan. Um, but I know I'm just going to try to impose my will as best as possible. I think overall, like with my upcoming opponent, we don't know a whole lot, uh, other than that she was an Olympic judoka in 2016. Um, she's had one pro fight. She's one and oh, we have no idea if she had any AMI fights. There's no film on her. Um, so it's kind of ideal for me. Cause like I said, I just want to go showcase me. Um, and we're just gonna, yeah, just do what we can do. <laughs> Do you think that leads to a little bit more of a feel out process at the start of the fight than maybe in a normal fight for you when, when you, you really, you have a very limited amount of, you know, bullet points of this is what she does. For sure. I, uh, I pride myself on my fight IQ and being able to make those reads and, and take my time and set up shots. Um, and it's definitely going to be an important factor for this fight just because we don't have as much information on her for sure. Uh, I know one of the things of uh, the, the daytime work does involve in the gym and, and teaching youth classes. Um, has there been an instance where maybe some of the, the, the kids in the class, their parents come pick them up and then, you know, somehow it's like, oh yeah, I'm a fire. They go, really? Yeah, for sure. We actually, uh, Devin Clark, who's in the UFC, he will occasionally come in and help us teach those kids classes as well. And and a lot of the parents recognize him and they're starting to recognize me and they'll, you know, they'll mention to their kids, like, don't mess with that coach. Cause you know, they actually know how to fight. Um, but for the most part, I just try to, I try to be friendly with them and I try to remind them that it doesn't matter when we're on the mats, we're all the same. We're all equals. We're all trying to learn. Um, and that Bruce Hoyer is, is top of the totem pole. So we listen to what he says and um, we just try to be good students. I know the biggest thing that, I've heard from fighters when, when they do teach, even if it's just, it's like a youth class, they'll talk about, they realize how much of the basics are so important that you got to have those fundamentals to execute, no matter whether you're 10 years old or 30 years old. Is that like your biggest takeaway when you're teaching a class of just kind of the mindset of just thinking like, this is when Bruce says something to me, this is why he's saying it to me. Yes. Yes. It's, uh, it's frustrating at times to, to try and tell a six-year-old that let's slow down, let's do it right, um, because these tiny details do matter. And then, you know, we have our 12-year-olds who they know just enough to be dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're trying to get them to reel it back in and make it a little bit better. Um, but yeah, teaching the kids class has made my basic foundational skills a thousand times better. Um, being able to per se, like kind of dumb it down, um, for them and be able to teach them in a manner that they can understand has helped me, um, just improve as a fighter overall. Also, uh, as you work for a meal prep company, so how did that come about? <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I went to school for exercise science, um, became a strength coach, personal training. I did all of that for a long time. I've always been into health and fitness, um, got nutrition degrees. And when I started transitioning to be more of that full-time fighter, I just kind of needed something with flexible hours. And uh, a locally owned meal prep company, I apologize about the dog barking, <laughs> um, they, they were looking for somebody for part-time hours. I told them what my, my situation was and, and they, yeah, they're full support. Um, my two managers bought a couple shirts for this fight, so i um, looking forward to that. 
I'm guessing the Amazon guy must have just shown up. I, I, I have I have a dog, but he he's more of a senior dog, so he doesn't bark as much as he once did. But yeah, I, I think any dog owner, I think we understand what you, what's happening right now. Yeah. <laughs> Tried to lock him out, but uh, that should help a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but uh, uh, t- two huskies, correct? Yes, two Huskies. We have uh, Mika, who's six years old, and Murphy, who just turned six months old. So it's mm. it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that puppy stage. Uh, we all yeah. been there. <laughs> we know what that, that's all about. <laughs> yeah, chewing yeah. on everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my dog's ten years old, so uh, he he's in the he's a, a senior category, as my vet <laughs> as my vet likes to say. He's a senior dog. <laughs> But he definitely knows awesome. when breakfast and dinner time is. He yes. knows he yeah, knows when that time is. <laughs> but uh appreciate you coming on the show. Of course, uh let everyone know they can follow you out on social media and of course those sponsors that are helping you out. Yeah, I uh so if you want to follow me on Instagram, Facebook, um Shy Bowers, you'll never find Cheyenne written on there <laughs> unless my mom's saying it. Um and then my sponsors for this fight, I've had Breaking Burrito um helping me out basically since the beginning they're a local food truck in town here um which they've been awesome and then uptown laundries a newer sponsor i've added on to my team um also locally owned business here in town i really love supporting all the the family-owned small businesses here um so yeah just excited the sioux falls community has blessed me a lot lately and i just really want to put on a good showcase for them Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man who is working his way up the amateur ranks. I'm pretty sure we're going to see him in the pro ranks here in the very near future. Laz, uh, appreciate the time, man. You know, I was, I was looking in, into you and your your run to this point, and one of the things that really stuck out to me was you make your AMI debut one, more, one month before our world changes. So, like, what was that like for you as you make your pro de- your amateur debut back in February 2020? And then, of course, we all know what happened. And, you know, one month later, like, what was that like for you just a- as a fighter of going through all this and understanding that it's like, crap, now I have no idea what my next fight's going to be? Yeah, uh, it was pretty crazy. Um, I think it's been a while, but uh, honestly, I think they were thinking about, like, kind of uh, not doing the event just because it was so close or they, they were having a little issues with it. And then it was also at the time around when I was having a, I was wrestling. So like still for high school. So I was having like the state tournament and stuff like that. So they were thinking about like shutting that down too. So it was just like, dang, like all this training for like, in both of my things are just getting shut down. I was like, no way, but ended up, uh, ended up happening. And it was pretty cool. So, uh, yeah. so when did you actually start uh, MMA training? Um, I started when I was like, well, I was like a senior in high school and literally in my first fight, I didn't do like no MMA training. Like I was just wrestling and, uh, what's more, I just, I kind of just went into it. Like just wrestling training. I, I had no like pad work, no nothing. I was like, I think I could fight. It sounds cool. <laughs> so I'll just try it out. And I, yeah, I mean, it was cool. <laughs> was it instant love for you or, or did it kind of take some time? No, nah, I was just in love. I think I fell in love with it when, like, when I was way younger. Like, I just fighting like I don't know, it just seemed cool. <laughs> like, do you like? Do you recall? Like, for me, I recall as a kid. I remember watching Mike Tyson fights on HBO with my dad. Like, for you, is like there that moment for you that you kind of remember, like when you first started kind of realizing what professional fighting is, as as opposed to you know, hey, we all know what that street fight is on the street. Yeah. 
Um, I think uh, watching like uh, Cody Garbrandt or uh, Yara Faber, uh, those are like my guys. Like I, I heck like watching. They were like the smaller guys too, and they got after it. So I think that they they made me fall in love with it. They put on the show too. So then. I did notice with your Instagram, uh, motorcycles, it seems to be kind of a, a love for you. Uh, was that just something that's kind of come on recently? Yeah, actually, like my senior year too, uh, I kind of like always like like dirt bikes and stuff, but I never really thought about getting a motorcycle. And then uh, I got like a little small one. Uh, it's called a Grom. And I kind of just started like playing around with it, like uh, stunting, doing wheelies. And like it's a small bike, so if you crash, like you won't get hurt or nothing like that. And then as I uh, got like used to that, I went up to like the Harley or like the dirt bikes and I started taking those out on the street and stuff. So, yeah. And, and of course, mention about this amateur run that you've been on. You're the five, five, nine fights flyweight champion coming off a successful title defense. Of course, it was your second meeting against Burgos. The first one ended via no contest. Like as you think about these, these eight amateur fights that you've had, how would you kind of describe your run to this point? Um, uh, it was a cool learning. Everything was like a super cool learning experience. Um, I think uh, like I wouldn't change anything. Like the loss I took, I think it like showed me like okay, you need like like I think uh, I didn't really like train that hard for that fight, and then it kind of showed me like this is what happens when you don't train or whatever. So it kind of humbled me. So I think the way it went, like I think it uh, it, uh, it went pretty good. Like going into my pro like uh, debut, whatever, whenever it is. But. Do you take more out of that loss than any other fight you've had? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, I mean, I, I know like, you know, you, you talk to fighters and they'll say, you know, man, you know, there's, there's going to be these, these times in the game of, of these lessons you learn. And he goes, you just hope you, you, you learn these lessons and wins as opposed to defeats. But like, like when you think about your wins, what, what do you take the most out of those? Uh, wins? Yeah. Um, Uh, I like I I like like going through even though like I, I still take the win and stuff I, I like like rewatching the film and seeing what I could have done better like what what like things were still open and stuff like that so um, yeah I'm I still like take it like I don't take it like a defeat or anything like that but I still like like rewatch it and everything like that so yeah were you like that in wrestling where you would go back and, and watch your own film or, or, or kind of as you made this transition MMA, you find yourself watching how you perform more? Um, I think I started, I didn't do it like freshman or sophomore year and then a uh, junior and like senior year, I started watching, like rewatching my matches. I think it actually did help me out a lot and like uh, showing like the openings and like what I could have taken or, or whatnot so then i kind of just uh, started doing it into like the mma stuff like watching it and stuff and it does really help a lot so yeah you know i think anyone who's played sports i think we all kind of hate watching film of ourselves because we're, we're naturally going to pick apart what we did wrong as opposed to what we did right like is that a hard balance for you uh, of sitting there and you know, i mean because like this game can be a game of inches you know you, you know if that punch is two inches short, maybe you don't knock him out or, you know, things along those lines. Like, is it kind of a balancing act for you to sit there and say, okay, hey, man, you know what? Hey, man, I did really good here. I, I had a good feint here that led to this. Or, or or are you naturally that, nah, man, I'm looking at the negative stuff more. 
Yeah, uh, I'm a little bit of both. Like, I, I see, like, the things, like, I do good. And I'm like, all right, that was, you know, that was pretty good. Good thing I did that. But then at the same time, I kind of still, I, I say 75%, like, like more, like, on, like, the, like, oh, you should have done this side than, like, the better, like, 25%, like, that side. But, yeah. Now, are you your hardest critic or is it your coaches? Mm, I think I am. Yeah. They say I do everything perfect, but I'm like, no, like I think I could have done a little better, but I think they just try to hide me up. <laughs> now, do you, would you call yourself a perfectionist? Oh, oh like, like, like in, in terms of like, you know, we can, we can do things absolutely tremendous in a day, whatever someone's job may be. But you know, there's always like, man, I could have done that better. Even though like, you know, it, it's like, if, if you think about the fight game, like you go out there and you know, let's say you knock some dude out in 60 seconds. You might sit there and go, you know what? But at the 33 second mark, I took a wrong step. Yeah. Uh, a little bit. I think so. Yeah. Like sometimes I look at back at my fight and I would, yeah, probably like, dang, why didn't I do that a little sooner or something like that? Yeah. You mentioned uh, a little bit briefly there about, uh, you know, the pro debut is going to come at some point. Is there a timeline that you and your coaches have on that? Uh, we were thinking probably like before the end of this year, but, um, I don't know. I think it kind of just, I think it would probably be better just to take like maybe like a couple months off or maybe at the beginning of next year, just to sharpen like everything else up. Cause my wrestling is pretty good, but I think I could still, uh, improve on my, uh, like striking or jujitsu or just boxing or whatever. Do you, do you believe your next fight will be pro or do you think it might be in our amateur fight? Um, I think it'll, it'll be pro. The first would be pro, yeah. Now, to kind of get to know you a little bit outside of competition, uh, let's say you walk to the gym today, they give you control of the music in, inside the gym. What, what's going on? Um, I'll probably... Usually I just listen to Pandora and like I'll put like whatever station on and it kind of just shuffles, but... I think one of my go-to stations are probably like, i say, like, you know who Akon is? Akon. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Akon's cool. I like his, like, station or, uh, um, uh, like, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like, okay. They're cool. Like, that type of music. It pumps me up when I'm, like, working out and stuff like that, so. Yeah. <laughs> now, is there a type of music that you, know, if you were, I mean, let's say you're just getting a workout in, you got the headphones in, and it comes on. Is it an immediate skip? Like, is it got to be kind of like a, an upbeat type of music that you, that you're looking for when you're getting that workout in? Yeah, like if I'm just if I'm doing like just a regular practice workout, then yeah, probably just like what I just said, like that type of music. But if it's like if I'm like about to get into the fight or something like that, or like going to like the ring or whatever i gotta listen to like some rap or something something that'll pump me up and get me mad but uh but yeah what's the favorite app on your phone it's a favorite app um tiktok i'll probably say tiktok <laughs> see you know here's the thing about tiktok man you you start scrolling before you know it you've been on the app for like an hour yeah yeah i know that's what that's actually why i don't like about it sometimes i'll be at work like and like 30 minutes goes by i'm like oh my gosh like i was just on that for like 30 minutes <laughs> but so what what are your fellow coworkers think about you being a, a fighter? Um, there uh, it's like a little family run business. We do like drywall and painting and like okay. that. So it's just really all family. So like they're they're all like 
Like, um, they're super supportive and everything like that. And they like watching like all my fights and talking about them and stuff like that. So, was the family on board when uh, you, you told, "Hey, I'm I'm going to chase this dream of being a professional fighter"? Yeah, they were the. My parents are super supportive, like with anything. If I whatever like career I want to be or be in, or like at a time I want to be a chef, and they're like, "Yeah, go do it." They put me in, like cooking, like this little cooking camp thing, and uh, it was pretty cool. But yeah, they're they're like all all for it, like no matter what I want to do. So they're cool. Of course, I can see the tattoos, which makes me think. What well, what was the first tattoo you got? Um, it was just like this rose, like. I just wanted it. I just wanted something. I, I already scheduled a, I had scheduled an appointment, but I never told, like, I forgot to send in pictures of what I wanted and it was going to take too long to like print out what I wanted, like, or like for him to draw it up. And, uh, he was like, well, we could schedule another day. And I was like, I already told all my friends at school, I was going to come back like the next day with the tattoos. I was like, no, no, just put this on. And I mean, it came out cool, but <laughs> is there a, another tattoo in the works here? Um, I was actually thinking about getting like a little like old, uh, like an old American like dagger right here on my like sideburn, but I don't know. Like, no, all my like family, like my parents have neck tattoos, my cousins, and like they have like whole like upper body done, but no one has a like a face tattoo. So I don't know if I want to be the first one to get one, but uh, other than that, no, nothing, nothing, nothing on my mind. <laughs> the neck tat, man, that that has got to be brutal to get that done. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, I got my shin done. My shin was probably the worst one. Really? I like. I was getting lightheaded right there. The neck tat is not like it doesn't really hurt. It's just super uncomfortable. The guy's like arm is on your head and he's trying to like separate it and do it. So you're like, ah. Uh, but that's really about it. <laughs> so you kind of felt like you're in a jujitsu uh, rolling session, huh? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I would. I. I would not think the shin would hurt. I would think the neck would hurt more than the shin. Yeah, no, I don't know. Something about the shin. I think it was just like the shin and the knee. Like I, uh, I haven't went back. I have like a whole leg piece I need to do, and it's been like a year since I like I went. I'm like, I don't want to. It got up to the knee, and I'm like, I don't want to go back. Like, I was gonna throw up on that one. Oh man, yeah, that's awesome, man. But I really appreciate you coming on the show, uh, Laz. Uh, of course, let me know anything follow you on social media, and of course, anything you else you want to mention, man. Um. Just follow my Instagram, uh, Lazarus dot Maldonado, uh, on Instagram. And, uh, that's about it. So. And there you have my four pack of fighter interviews here on this edition of the podcast with Chris Camozzi, Josh Augustine, Shea Bowers, and Laz Maldonado. You know, going back to the Chris Camozzi conversation, you hear him talking about how he is betting on himself in this matchup. He had a chance to sign a multi-fight deal with Bare Knuckle. However, he chose to bet on himself, go with a one-fight deal. And you got to love that because, you know, we, we see it happen so many times in this sport. And it seems like, especially when it happens in UFC, it seems like for whatever reason, it just doesn't go the fire's way. But you got to love the Chris Camosi betting on himself with this one. And you got to love the quote that he had in an interview with Sirius XM where he said, where I'm at my career, I'm almost I'm after the most money I can make, and I'm looking to have fun. And you got to love that. And, uh, you know, look, I think overall, I think Bare Knuckle is doing a lot of very good things, uh, you know. You know, we talked about on Wednesday's podcast with Melvin Gillard, of course, uh, last week. It just a lot of questions to me arise around that. 
And probably the biggest question to me is, did BKFC make that fight announcement before they went to the Colorado Commission with that? And, of course, if you've not seen, the Colorado Commission said, nope, we are not going to uh, allow Melvin Gillard to fight here. So uh, we'll see what happens. Apparently, Melvin got an MMA win back in June. It's uh, on the MMA. The fight result is not in the MMA registry, but the fight is listed. Uh, but apparently, you got to fight there back in June. So we'll see if maybe if Melvin Gillard, if there is a commission out there, that is going to regulate him. Uh, Josh Augustine, great to get a chance to, to speak to him. And, you know, you know, interesting to hear him talking about going, you know, making that move to 155 pounds. And whoever Shamrock gives him on this November the 5th card, the fact that it's going to have title implications. And I think the big takeaway from that conversation is him basically talking about he's seeing the pathway to potentially getting a Bellator offer. Of course, for people who do not know, is that if you become a champion in Shamrock FC, you do have the ability to get a contract with Bellator. There's a champion's clause there to get your fight. I mean, the fighter doesn't have to take the contract if they don't want to, but very. it's always interesting to kind of when you hear a fighter talk about, you know, like, hey, man, I, I see my path to Bellator. So I thought that was a pretty interesting conversation. And then, of course, Shea Bowers making her pro debut come up here on Friday night, LFA 144. Great to uh, talk to her about, uh, you know, and then, of course, you know, in the conversation, you hear her dogs barking him. I think anyone that is a dog owner, I mean, I've got a, I've got a 10 year old beagle who, uh, you know, he, he's, he's in the senior stage, but, uh, sometimes that Amazon, uh, delivery guy shows up. I, I do hear him bark a little bit, growl a little bit, but, uh, cause I think we all, you know, we all have, you know, have those daily Amazon deliveries there. Uh, so great stuff. Uh, looking forward to seeing her pro debut here on Friday, LFA, uh, 144. I'm going to plan to check out LFA on, on Friday night. I'll be, uh, be relaxing at home on Friday night is uh, Saturday morning. I'll be heading to Pittsburgh for Bucks and Steelers on Saturday. So looking forward to uh, getting in Pittsburgh. I think we're going to uh, the Penguin Lightning game on Saturday night. So looking forward to checking that out. And then, of course, the final conversation, Laz Maldonado, guy coming out of that 559 fights, uh, an amateur series there in the state of California. And, and very clearly, you can tell, uh, you know, the likely next matchup for him is a pro debut. Someone to definitely pay attention to there on that California regional scene there. Maybe that's a guy we could maybe potentially see, you know, in, in a Bellator show in the state of California, you know, just to kind of help build his resume there. So I appreciate all those fires coming on this week's uh, adi- interview edition of the M Airport Podcast. Of course, as I mentioned earlier on the show, myself and Daniel will have an episode on Wednesday as we'll uh, start to kind of look ahead to this weekend. Of course, uh, we did not have a UFC card last weekend, but we do have a UFC card come up here on Saturday uh, afternoon as that main card is going to start at 4 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday. I will be uh, live on Stochastic at 3 o'clock with my man Pete Rogers Jr. talking about the DFS aspect of that, uh, getting the Pittsburgh early enough so I could do that show there. But, of course, uh, you got a, uh, a flyweight matchup in the main event as it's going to be Alexa Grosso taking on Viviana Arujo. Uh, you know, look at some other – you know, the matchup to me on this card that – Obviously, a, a lot of importance with that main event uh, of Grasso and Arujo, but the fight that really sticks out to me has got to be that flyweight matchup between Askar Askarov and Brandon Royvel. That that is a fight that that sticks out to me a ton. Uh, you know, also someone like Amana Martinez, just because he's been on this show uh, many times. Uh, looking forward, always, uh, you know, seeing him. And, and when I think of Mana Martinez, I think of his last fight. And for those who don't remember, he was down big in that fight. You know, he was two. He was down two. 
duo heading into the third round in his last fight. And James Krause just basically, it was a fight against Ronnie Lawrence back in, in February. And and James Krause, and I love James Krause as a coach. And he just like, he's like, dude, you're down 2-0. Go, go do this. And man, he took it to Ronnie Lawrence in that third round. And Ronnie Lawrence will survive and get that decision win. But he's one of those guys that I'll always enjoy, and I've had a chance to talk to Mono Martinez on, on multiple occasions. Uh, Cub Swanson dropping down to 135 pounds. That's going to be really interesting to see what does Cub Swanson look like at 135 pounds, dropping from 145 at this point in his career. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's it's a fight night card that I just, it's just real. I mean, like overall, it is not a fight card that just gets me juiced. Uh, but there are, you know, to me, if I was like going to sit there and say, give me three reasons to watch this UFC fight night card, I think reason number one would be Roy Val and Askarov just because of what that fight means for the 145 pound division. You know, Brand Roy Val has won back to back fights uh, against Bontarine and Matt Snell. And then, of course, you look at the other side of the equation, Askar Askarov. This will be his first fight since March when he lost the Kai Car of France. So big opportunity for him to get right back into contention here in the 125-pound division. Of course, we know we're going to have that the uh, the fourth matchup between Figueredo and Brian Moreno uh, coming up. Uh, what's that? I want to say it's in January that fight was announced. So, um, you know, it's a big matchup at 125 pounds. So looking forward to it. Um, you know, the main event is probably would be my number two reason to watch this card. I mean, it's a big matchup there uh, in the women's 125 pound division. And if I was going to sit there and put number three, even though I, I love Monter Martinez, I've always had a great conversation with him on podcast. I think number three would probably have to be Cub Swanson making his 135 pound uh, UFC debut here. You know, when you look at, at a guy who's 38 years old, dropping down a weight class, you always, kind of wonder of what's that going to mean and of course you know we haven't seen Cub Swanson in 10 months so we'll see what happens here but uh, of course I'll be watching that one uh, from Pittsburgh a little bit and uh, hopefully uh, hopefully you have a great week uh, I know it's uh, starting off as a good week it's a victory Monday for uh, for myself with the Bucks going out there and getting a win yesterday uh, did uh, did have a couple cocktails last night uh, to celebrate that had some great foods from a, a local restaurant here in Tampa so hopefully everyone's uh, week is off to a great start and of course, I will talk to you on Wednesday on the next episode of the MMA Report Podcast. I'm Jerry P. Tuck, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. 